Hello, my friends. You are listening to Grit and Grace. My name is Taverly, and I am your host. I'm here to share my entrepreneurial journey with you, and we'll be bringing on some amazing women who've been helping me, mentoring me, and inspiring me on how Grit and Grace helps them crush it in business, relationships, fitness, family, friends, and all that good stuff. Now, let's get started. Hello, my friends. Welcome back. Today is one of those days that I feel like I am so fortunate to have some of the most amazing women come on my show and talk to you and share their stories. And not only is it amazing for you, but it's really amazing for me. And today I have Kara Burns with me. And I first met her when we were at a Camp Experience event. And if you don't know what Camp Experience is, go listen to Betsy Wiersma's podcast because it's really good. She tells you everything about Camp Experience and it's lots of fun. But I was there and I was at this event And I saw this woman with this like incredible energy and positive light around her. And I immediately felt a kindness from her. And when we started speaking, it was like I truly felt like our souls had been connected in the past. And it was so amazing to get to know her and and chat with her. And then she shared her very transformative and inspirational story. And I knew that I was in the company of one of the really good ones. In 2013, after 20 years of drug and alcohol abuse, she walked out of federal prison to face the overwhelming challenges of re-entering society and beating the odds of relapsing. She's turned her experience and journey to this transformational way that she lives her life and, and empowering others to dig deep and find their way to success. She knows change is possible because she lives it every day. And Kara, honestly, it is my pleasure to have you on the show today. Oh my gosh, Taverly, uh, that introduction, you just, um, you made my day. Thank you so very much. Uh, I'm, I'm honored, completely honored to be here. And that's what it was like when we met each other, though. There was like all of a sudden our lights just like connected and sh- and we were just like happy, positive the moment we met each other. And well, at least that's how it was for me. <laughs> <laughs> Notice I, I'll, I'll, I'll let you refrain. It, it's OK if you didn't feel that way. I know you do now. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I felt that way. I absolutely mirror um, mirror the same experience that evening. It was very I knew immediately that you were uh, someone that I wanted to know more about. And I, I will say that maybe part of the reason, even though our life path is our life paths and our trajectories are 100% different, um, I have faced challenges in my life that are beyond what the average person has to deal with, and I know how difficult that is. And in fact, I was writing, I was writing, I'm doing a presentation in a couple of months, and I was writing down part of what makes me unique and how I connect with people. And one of the things that came to me is that I see light in people because I've seen the dark, right? I I have experienced the dark side. And so I I know what the light side feels like. And maybe that's why maybe that's why I connected with you so much. I don't know. But I'm really excited to have you here. Thanks for joining me. Absolutely. I'm again, I'm honored to be here. And you know what I like about you, Kara, is that you are willing to talk about your experiences. And and that's and that's a powerful that's a that has powerful impact on other people, you know, sharing sharing our stories and, and our challenges is is what really makes the stories so valuable. And, you know, in all of my podcasts, I talk authentically about the things that have been really hard in my life. I share very personal information and it's not always easy, um, but I know that me sharing how difficult it can be and that it's it's possible to come out on the other side in a better place, it 
can change other people. They can have the chance to learn from it. So you know, I appreciate the fact that you're always so willing to be open and honest, and you're amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Taverly. I, I would consider that being vulnerable is a superpower of mine. I believe that uh, I have this amazing story, and if I don't share all of it, so, and when I say all of it, uh, you know, I mean all of it, if I don't share the real deep, dark places, then it's not going to really be transformational or impactful for other people. It will be to a degree, but not to where it would necessarily need to be for it to be transformational for them. And so I am a huge advocate for being a truth teller and going all the way and being as vulnerable as possible in an effort to connect with other women. Yes. Well, and I I think that the fact that you do that also allows you the credibility, right, and the confidence to – ask the same of others or or express to them the importance of that. And part of when I started this podcast, right, I was I wanted to share my entrepreneurial journey. I wanted to share how difficult it was and all the people that came into my life and helped me. And that just meant talking about all the stuff that I didn't know, like right off the bat, all the things I had to learn. And every day I'm still learning all the time. It's 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 always the journey that matters more than where I'm at. And it's it's funny now because if somebody was to jump on our podcast right now and just listen to us, they would think, oh, that that Taverly, you know, all that is natural for her. She she you know, this 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 comes easy. And I want to remind them to go back and listen to how (laughs) how rough it was at the beginning and the process, because, again, I think that that's that's part of sharing. So, Kara, where where do you want to start? I think we should start at the beginning. So we should should probably uh, start my childhood. Okay. So where did you grow up? Where are you from? I was born here in Colorado, but I was raised in Texas uh, by my mom. My parents were divorced at a young age, Mm. and I spent summers with my dad here in Colorado, and I spent uh, the rest of the year in Texas with my mom. My childhood was somewhat normal. We didn't have a ton of money but I, there's definitely people that lived in, in significant more poverty than we did. Uh, you know, I, I still had my needs were met to some level. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you didn't face any like significant challenges of abuse or, or any difficulties as a child. No, I wasn't abused. I had a mom who had some mental health challenges Mm -hmm. and had trouble connecting because of her own childhood. And so emotionally, she just was absent on Mm -hmm. top of some kind of mental health stuff. And so it was it was me on my own. And you know, when you can kind of get an unspoken feeling from things, it was always this feeling of she didn't really want kids. And um, my 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 hunches or my senses is that she just didn't really necessarily want kids. And so when, when something like that happens, um, you know, it, it creates some, some, some challenges as far as, you know, feeling wanted or important. Do you, do you think that that, was that sort of traumatic for you or do you, was it not? Oh no, I didn't know any better. Yeah. 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 I didn't know any better. Uh, you know, I went through my entire childhood not knowing any better. Um, and my there were huge differences in my mother and my father. So the differences were my mom and my stepdad smoked. They are uh, nice people, but they lived a different lifestyle. So they smoked. They never exercised. Mm. Uh, they weren't good with their money. They, um, you know, they they just 
They lived a certain way. I mean, they and I. I mean, you're describing a lot of people, right? You're you're describing a lot of um, people who live a certain type of, of of life that doesn't involve you know health and wellness and personal growth as a priority. Thank you for articulating. Yeah. That. yeah. Well, I mean, I'm from Lyons, Colorado, so it's a small town, and and definitely, I would say that. I know what you mean. Some some people just don't choose that path. And it's not that it's right or wrong. Well, health-wise, it's it's not as good. You could be healthier. But that's just the way some people, you know, that's that's generations behind them. That's how they were raised, and that's all they know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, education wasn't a value. So, mm. it, you know, those things weren't a value. And so it wasn't a value for me. And then I would spend summers with my dad and um, his – his lifestyle, him and my stepmom's lifestyle was completely different. And so they were healthy. They didn't smoke. They were, you know, fiscally responsible. They very much valued education. Um, <clears throat> they just lived a, a completely different lifestyle. And yeah. so it was advantageous that I was able to spend my summers with them. Mm, so you got to see two different perspectives. I did. Yeah. I did. That's good. Yeah. Uh, things got off track for me uh, in my mid-teen years uh, when I started uh, drinking heavily and my mom sent me to go live with my dad and my stepmom and uh, that lasted about eight months and um, my dad had some, to make some choices and he sent me back to live with my mom and that's when things shifted or, or completely changed for me. I, my core belief at that time and something that I challenge ever since is that I'm just not good enough or lovable enough. And I didn't have the strength of character uh, to see past that at that point. And so I, I fulfilled that. I just went back to Texas and um, started doing drugs and drinking heavily. And uh, that's when my life uh, completely 100% took a dramatic turn. So how old were you when you first had a drink? I was a fresh. Uh, I was a freshman in high school. So just something like a friend had access to alcohol, or somebody bought alcohol, and, and you just had the opportunity to get it. Because I always, you know, having having kids my, myself, I, you know, my son just turned twenty one, so we can't have the conversation anymore. <laughs> but um, when they were younger, they talked all the time about the amount of parents that would buy alcohol. Or, or allow kids to drink or had siblings that would buy, you know, drugs or alcohol for them. And it, it still surprises me today. But is that is that how you had access to it at such a young age? I'm really resourceful. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and so uh, I, I just, I just very similar today, I was the same way at 16. I just made things happen. Yeah. So I was just resourceful. And you liked it from the beginning. You, you started it. Is that? Immediately it changed the... Uh, the way that I felt, which was um, not good enough, not important mm. enough, to all of a sudden now I'm the, I'm the girl, I'm the person, mm. and <clears throat> I was able to not think about you know the pain, and so I that coupled with the addiction you know gene inside of me, mm. I was off to the races. And I asked this question because I I think that it's it's um, you know I guess I guess it's. It, it, it's different for everybody, but would you say that it was a self-medicating process from the beginning or was it addiction from the beginning? And I only ask that because I know that a lot of our listeners um, you know, have faced this in, in various ways, addiction with family members or, I mean, we're in the United States. This is, this is a major problem in the society that we live in in a variety of ways. 
so was it was it that for you? Did it heal or did it did it medicate or numb that pain that you felt? I'm a classic addict alcoholic toddlerly, and so what that means is when alcohol or drugs hit my system, it lights me up. Okay. Yeah, and that answers the question because I, I haven't experienced that, but I do have somebody very close in my family that's an alcoholic, and I've lived with it my whole life, and I, 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 it's hard for me to understand because it doesn't do that for me. It actually makes me feel bad. <laughs> I don't like the way that it makes me feel, um, So I, that, and that's why I ask. So the transition from alcohol to drugs happened how? That just happens. So, you know, when you're an addict, I think it's just the natural progression. And so, uh, you know, one day it, it was presented to me and I got high uh, and liked it. And it started with Coke and then it progressed to meth. And then that progressed to uh, shooting meth in my early 20s. And, you know, by that time, so by the time I was shooting, it had snowballed to uh, completely out of control. I was uh, making bad choices and stealing in and out of jail, never showed up to my court date, and uh, was homeless throughout that time, which wasn't t- as much of a priority as you would think that it would be, because I was strung out on drugs, and that was my priority. My priority was mm-hmm. staying high, having you know the most amount of meth so that possible so that I didn't have to come down again. Mm-hmm. And I got lucky that I... <clears throat> I, I got arrested and um, was put into jail for a period of time. And um, that was just enough that I needed to be able to get clean. And so uh, that was the, the springboard for me to, to be able to get clean for um, about four years. And uh, during that four years, though, I did drink. And so uh, I learned the very hard lesson that... I can't drink either. My brain told me in that time, um, oh, well, you're not doing meth. Uh, you can still drink. It's fine. Um, so I drank, and then progressively my drinking took me back to a, a, a meth relapse. And when was that? 2008. Okay. And that's after you had spent a, 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 a smaller period of time in, in jail? Smaller period of time in jail, got my first felony, uh, and was able to get clean, was mm. able to get clean. And then what happened? <clears throat> I didn't have the skills that it took to cope with life. So it t- just took one or two small things happening, and uh, I relapsed on meth. Hey, if you're enjoying this conversation, you really want to become a premium subscriber. First off, it's really cheap, about the same as a cup of coffee for the entire month of access. Second, it helps us grow, add more podcasters and events for you to be a part of. And third, what a great way to support the sisterhood. You love us, now help us do even more by joining at ladieschitchatclub.com. That's ladieschitchatclub.com and there are no commercial breaks. Let's rejoin this chat now. Is that partly because... From the time you had started doing drugs until the time that you got out and, and was clean, you hadn't learned the life skills yet. You that there was a chunk of time there that you weren't able to reacclimatize into society. Was that was that what it was? So back when uh, I was charged in um, two thousand and three, things were not as this the way that they are now as far as the court system in Colorado and. Colorado is just now coming around to um, to rehabilitating 
uh, mm. people who have drug addiction instead of incarcerating. And so um, that wasn't a value at the time. So I never received any treatment. I didn't have any money to go to treatment. I could never afford rehab. So, you know, my your options when that's your circumstance is AA. So I went through and I would show up to AA meetings and NA meetings and um, kind of dipped in and out, but wasn't 100% committed because I really, again, I didn't have what it took at that point to be super committed. My head still told me I, I wasn't done yet. I guess yeah. that's the that's the quickest way for us to get where we need to be in this conversation. At that point, I wasn't done yet. Yeah. All right. So you relapsed. I did. Yeah. And then what happened? <sighs> Gosh. Not long after uh, I lost my job, and uh, after that, I started uh, selling meth to support my habit and support myself. And um, I lived with a guy at that time, uh, and um, it was a very deep, dark time in my life. I continued to make choices that were going to eventually take me to a point where I couldn't return. And the scary part about that is, is I couldn't stop. Mm. I knew bad things were going to happen and I couldn't stop. So I moved in with uh, the guy who was, who I was buying my meth from and uh, we lived together it was super challenging, um, again, because I knew, you know, I knew I was on, on the road to not good things. And I ran money for him and um, sold drugs and uh, until uh, one day I was indicted for conspiracy to distribute methamphetamine. And that was uh, January of 2011. Okay. And you went and you went to prison. I did. I did. I. I often. There isn't probably a week that goes by that I don't think about that day and that moment and that time because it's been so impactful on my life. Mm. I, you know, was pulled out of my car by DEA agents and the FBI uh, right off here right over here off 6th Avenue, and treated like a criminal. And I was a criminal. Mm. I was an indignant criminal at that time. And it took that happening to me to be the springboard of what I needed to change my life. So I got... Indicted, and so indicted, Taverly, is not just, you know, getting arrested on a state level. It doesn't mean <clears throat> my perception of, and I'm sorry to skip around, but my perception of when you get arrested or charged with something is you'll be able to buy your way out of it mm -hmm. because that's the way it works. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work that way when you get federally indicted. When oh, you, I see. There's a difference between at the state and federal level. There is. There is. You're not going to buy your way out of a federal indictment, and you're going to go to prison for a long time. Mm. Um, <clears throat> it's a very challenging situation. And, you know, looking at 10 years in federal prison was my moment where things got changed for me. I was like, you know, 
I don't think this is what my purpose is. I don't know what my purpose is, but I'm pretty sure this isn't it. Let's go find out what it is. And I, you know, I say that kind of flippant now. In that moment, it was very dramatic. It was, you know, tears rolling down my face in, you know, in a in a, a transport van being transported all the way up to um, Nebraska, where the federal holding is for Wyoming, because that's the state that I got indicted out of. It's a loan. It's I don't have anybody. I don't have any money. I don't have any support at all because my parents were shocked. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the friends, quote unquote, friends that I had, mm-hmm. you know, they sure weren't around. Um, I did have a, uh, uh, <laughs> I just I just flashed back to connections that I made, you know, when you're locked up like that. Um, you know, I connected with people, you know, but that was my connection was people inside of, you know, this county jail. And um, it, it was hard. It was very hard. And listen, I, I want to acknowledge that the fact that you are willing to give us your time and share your voice in these stories that you're, you're telling us. I just want you to know I appreciate it. I know this is not easy and it's not easy every time you talk about it. It's not like it's ever going to get easy, but I appreciate your willingness to be so honest. Oh, thanks. So when you were indicted you went and you went to federal prison, was there treatment there available immediately? Because you have you at that point, then you have to get clean. You are not you know, your body is going to go through a tremendous amount of change. Did you have support there for that? I sought out treatment. So once I did, uh, I was in county jail for a year. But then uh, once I made it to prison, I was able to, um, I got sentenced to a drug rehab program. So part of my um, sentencing was part of, was a drug rehab program. And the day I got sentenced, I was quite lucky, Taverly, because um, my judge gave me a variance the the day of sentencing down to um, uh, 63 months, which is a little over five years. And she did that because of some things that I had done in county jail. Um, <clears throat> shaved my head for kids with cancer. And um, I, she told me the day that she sentenced me that I was a different person I stood, that stood in front of her <clears throat> than the day that she had initially met me at my change of plea hearing. <clears throat> and I, I knew I was very lucky and had been given a second chance in that moment. Mm. I, I knew it was, you know, navigating the federal system is challenging and we all make our choices <clears throat> the way that it, the system is designed is um, so that that you will cooperate with the federal government and all of those things boil down to what someone is is or is not willing to to do and so people on my indictment some made some other choices um, you know we were working for the cartel Totally. And mm-hmm. so um, I made choices that, um, you know, where I took responsibility for the amount of drugs that I was being charged with. And so that allowed me an opportunity to go below the 10 years. I mm-hmm. said, you know, yes, I admit to selling, you know, X, Y, and Z drugs to so-and-so and so-and-so. Right. Um, what I was unwilling to do was to um, share any additional information about the people that were above me, um, you know, specifically um, the cartel or any of those other people that I was working with because it just wasn't. Well, there was some risk associated with that. Frankly, I mean, you know that that should probably deter somebody. Um, 
again, I'm going to go back to it's what a matter of what you can live with and what you can't. Yeah. And that I had put myself in that position. I had made those choices. Um, and I don't know that I was operating out of fear. I was more so operating out of what felt right at the time. Yeah. Um, and so I made those choices. And so I, I got lucky. I got, you know, a variance on top of, you know, an opportunity um, to not spend 10 years of my life in federal prison. Um, and that made all the difference. And I knew that was my second chance and I took it and I ran with it. And I was lucky enough when I was locked up to participate in a drug rehab program that changed my life, to be taken off the compound, to speak to um, young adults about uh, the choices that I had made and what took me off course, you know, and I'm standing there in my prison greens and it's dramatic looking, you know, my teeth are rotted out and it was, impactful for them and it was impactful for me and that's where I got my start in speaking Mm. was was way back in prison and was released in um, September of 2013 and was released to a community that had huge gaps Mm. in services for people like me I was so excited to get released from federal prison you the entire time that I was locked up that's what you think about. I'm so ex- I can't wait to get out of here. What clothes am I going to wear? All the things I'm going to do differently. The relationships I'm going to mend. You know, all you know, A, B, C, and that's all you dream about because there's you know you've got nothing but time. Right. And I got out, and it was not that way. It was not exciting. It was scary as hell, and very traumatic. So how did you find how did you find a support system? I went to a nonprofit in Denver back in 2013. They're no longer now, around now, but they're called Denim, and it was a support services nonprofit. And they referred me to another nonprofit called Dress for Success for professional clothing. The difference between someone making it and someone not making it is support. The difference between um, someone being able to make different choices than what they have made in the past or going back to the same old raggedy lifestyle that they lived before is peer group and, and support services. So I identified that pretty early on and got heavily involved with Dress for Success. Um, they gave me interview clothes. Did you find a job right away? Like, was that, was that part of the services they offered? I'm, I'm just thinking because I imagine that it's difficult, um, to have that on your record, right? When you have to apply for jobs or was that part of the services that they helped you with? No, it doesn't, doesn't work like that. Yeah. So I flash back and it makes me emotional even to think about it. You know, I flash back to, you know, I'm standing there all dressed up in my nice clothes. My teeth are still messed up, but I'm at this job fair and no one would talk to me. I, I, I'm not going to waste anybody's time. So I walked up to the table and I said, hi, do you hire felons? No, we don't hire felons. Hi, do you hire felons? No, we don't hire felons. Tears streaming down my face in my, you know, beautiful outfit. And I can't find a job and I have no money and I have not, I mean, I have nothing. I live in a halfway house on Yale and Federal and it was horrible super super challenging and no one would hire me uh, I did f- 
finally this woman saw me and she grabbed me and she said, are you okay? And I said, clearly I'm not. And she introduced me to a, um, a staffing agency and, uh, we ended up having a conversation, but that didn't pan out. I ended up getting a job at another staffing agency who who hires felons, who second chance. Mm-hmm. And that's all I needed was yeah. somebody to give me a shot. Yeah. That's all I need. Right. So that's that's how that happened. So when you got that first position, um, were you able to earn enough to get out, to move out of a halfway house and into your own place? I am so glad you asked me that question. I did not. So I earned $11 an hour. I made $11 an hour working there. The uh, Jefferson County was garnishing my wages because of old drug debts that I hadn't paid. And it came time for me to move out of the halfway house six months later, and I was shy by about $1,000. If I would not have had my father, who was living at the time, help me get into my first apartment I would not have been able to bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. So no matter how hard I worked, no matter all the things that I did, and it was a very, very challenging time, my roommates were selling meth out of our closet at the halfway house, and not just a little bit of meth, pounds of meth. Seriously? Yep. So I that very mm-hmm. pivotal moment in my life. Right. I have nothing. I have no money, no car. Do I... Do I you know, follow this this road with these girls that I've been on many times before. I can get money, and I know I can sell meth, so let's do this. Or do I go down this road where I don't know where it goes? And I tell that, you know, every most of the time that I speak, I share that specific story because it was very pivotal. It was a very pivotal moment because why wouldn't I make that same choice? Right. Why wouldn't I? What are the percentage of women that do? Uh, Again, I'm so glad you asked that question. (laughs) So uh, 65% of us go back within the first year. And um, up to 77% go back within five years. So if that number doesn't tell you how narrow the the odds are for us to make it, I don't know what does. I I can honestly say that there are very few people, including myself, that can truly understand what type of decisions you had to make every day and the strength that you had to have to walk in into a location that had access to your previous drug of choice, your ability to make money and choose the harder path because you knew you had a better purpose. I hoped I had a better purpose, right? I, I wish that someone had been through what I had gone through and was sharing their story, but they mm. weren't. I didn't know. No wow. one no one was no, – there was no information. There was no one coming into the halfway house and speaking and sharing their story and, and saying, hey, I've been through this and you can do it too. There's none of that because there's so few people who make it. And the ones who do, frankly, probably look back and go, I'm out. They want to erase those memories and I don't, put it behind them. I don't want to walk into that dirt and muck and mire. Yeah. And that's just, those. that's the breaks. 
Don't you just feel smarter when you're listening to this? I know I do. The free stuff on this site is really, really good. But you'll also love the stuff that comes with your premium membership. Just $4.99 a month because we want it to be accessible to everyone. And let's face it, we spend way more than that on a coffee. And it hardly helps you have a fabulous life like we do. Join today at ladieschitchatclub.com. That's ladieschitchatclub.com. We're going to make your life better. So we'd really appreciate the help. Oh, and there are no commercial breaks. Let's get back to what we we were doing now. So what was your relationship like with your parents after you got out of prison? Um, my dad continued to watch me grow and supported me. Uh, he again, he helped bridge that financial gap for me to find a place to live. And it was good. He, my dad passed away uh, almost three years ago mm-hmm. uh, suddenly, but it was very good. And I'm not close with my mom. Um, she's mentally ill. She's got some um, dimension, Alzheimer's happening. And so uh, I just connect with her to the best, you know, to honor her. Yeah. But we're not close. Right. Um, my stepdad's pr- played a pretty uh, significant role in my life. He's a good man, as well as my stepmother, um, who uh, is still in my life. And so those those relationships um, are, are helpful. And I'm grateful that they've had the ability to watch me turn my life around. Yeah, it it was it withstood the challenges, and I'm sure in a lot of cases it doesn't. Probably not, but you know, when when someone finally becomes, you know, what what cha- makes the changes that that you can see so so significantly, you know, then yeah. then you're bought in. Then it's then it's time to buy into somebody uh, when when they when they're on that path. Right, and I I think I understand a lot more about you right now. Like right, right, just in that moment, and mostly because I now understand why you, as a leader, do what you do for other people and other women specifically. I get it, and I I see that you didn't have that, and the fact that you didn't have that, and you are still sitting across from me today doing what you do. I meant it. I mean, you are one of the good ones, Kara. You have gone from from things that we haven't, I can't even possibly imagine what it's like to be able to sit here today and talk about it and be there for other women because now you are that person that you didn't have. Yeah, indeed. I, I believe that I've been saved, if you will, uh, and put on this path to help and show other women and what a dishonor I would do if I didn't go back into that same halfway house and share with those women my story and share with them how I made it out. If someone would have done that for me, it would have made all the difference. Just someone to look up to and say, oh, you've done this? You've been through this and you made it out? There's power in that, but it's just not the norm for my people people with kind of you know criminal histories and so forth and the people that do make it out and and are successful carry shame about it and so they want to erase it nobody talks about it nobody talks about oh you know being a felon or criminal history or being a drug addict if you've made it out it's just not something you share it's just shame and you when you go get a new job you just hope like heck that you're able to connect enough or explain enough so that they'll give you a chance I remember carrying that shame with me right after release, and I've just continued to share and share and share and share and share to the point of maybe if I continue to share this, 
it's going to normalize it for me and it's going to normalize it for everybody else. Right. Can we just talk about this like it's okay and normalize it? Mm -hmm. Because so many of us have criminal histories. There are uh, one in a hundred people actually in, um, in America are locked up. If you translate that into people or bodies, that's a lot of people. That means that you know somebody, someone in your family, immediate family probably, good friend, their kids, someone has been justice involved. Right. And we're all carrying around this shame and, and we don't want to talk about it and I'm tired of that. Yeah, nobody talks about it. In fact, you and I had a conversation not too long ago about this topic that there are way more people than we have ever anticipated um, or we could have known because it's not talked about, right, that have experienced some type of criminal history. And um, I didn't really realize that those were the statistics until you said that. Yeah, it is. And it's high. So let's talk about it. Let's normalize this. Let's uh, let's break down some biases. Let's give some people some opportunities at a second chance yes. of employment. Right. There's there's the key message that I know I can take away from this for sure. And especially for those that are listening to understand that change is possible. People deserve a second chance. We all make mistakes. We, we do. And addiction is something that is, and I'm going to have you talk more about that than, than I actually won't say anything. I'll let you talk more about how that is for you now. But People listening to the show, we all know and have normalized addiction to the point where it kind of just sits in a lot of our lives and we live with it. With the people that we love and care about and the people we know, several people do. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad that you are having these conversations. Oh, thank, yeah. thank you. I, I can't help it. You know, I'm, I'm an advocate for people like me. I'm an advocate for meth addicts, drug addicts in general, felons. I want to break down those biases and what those stereotypes look like because it's not fair. Can we talk about stereotypes for just a minute? <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. Oh, my God. Okay, so there's this really funny story um, that I'm going to share <laughs> that Kara and I experienced because we're doing, we have, we're doing actually some work together. We have some things to do together. We both are on a path to do more um, speaking, and so we are, are working with a group together. And we're just kind of, I'll just say we're, we're kind of a we're buddy system, doing the buddy system, right? And I'd like to say that I can count on Kara to keep me accountable, and she can count on me to keep her accountable. So we went to an event together, and when we showed up to the event, you know, me with my full sleeves of tattoos, um, and um, Kara with her nice, beautiful locks, we walked in together, and the person that we were to meet was told only two things. One of them has a podcast, one of them, <laughs> one of them was a felon, and she told us afterwards that she assumed that I was the person that had been to prison because of the way that I looked and you were the person that hosted the podcast. And it has put so much in my mind about bias and what that looks like. I have not been able to stop thinking about that since because we should be evaluated based upon the qualities that we have on the inside and what we're capable of now, not our past, and actually not our exterior, not what we exteriorly look like. And of course, you know, Kara, that I experience this all the time now being someone that has um, that, that stands out um, in, in a crowd for sure unless mm -hmm. I put my sweater back on like the sweater I have today I walk in in this nice perfectly sweater and, and my my blonde hair and, and I, I I would look I would just say what an average person would expect someone of my age to look like take my sweater off and boom it's a difference it's an entirely different situation right. and impression right so isn't that a funny experience 
It, it is, but it's not, right? And yeah. here's why it's not. So it happened to me a few years ago. Uh, someone did a story on me, and uh, I'm another thing that I am passionate about is, is running, and I uh, got involved uh, mm-hmm. it's in running through an organization called Running Start, and it's a nonprofit. And I was paired with a running motivator, and I learned how to run, and I ran a marathon with her, and uh, the experience was amazing. Mm-hmm. But someone did a story on us, and uh, and my running motivator is black. And when the story came out, her name was Kara Burns on the story, and my name was her name on the story. Oh, that's awful. Because she was stereotyped as the felon because she's black. Mm-hmm. And that was my first experience in that, and it opened up my eyes, and I have experienced it over and over again. And so I have the benefit of looking like what I look like, and so when people meet me, they're like, oh, you, and you can see it subtext mm. in their head of, oh, you're not what I thought you would look like. Mm. So what does a methodic look like? What does a felon look like? Well, when I was released from prison, I looked totally different than I look now. My teeth looked just like a meth addict. But because I had, was blessed and lucky enough that a dentist fixed my teeth, and I have to give a, a, a shameless plug for my dentist. Her name is Dr. Lee Weisbard, mm-hmm. and she is amazing. Um, she changed my life. Because of that, you, you think I'm something totally different, but I'm actually this. I'm actually a felon and a drug addict and all of these things. And it's, it's sad. And that's my passion is opening up people's eyes to thinking something different. If I can just get in a little bit into their head of, oh gosh, maybe I should, you know, kind of look at this or maybe give an opportunity to somebody that I maybe not would have. Kara's, if I can make that path, mm-hmm. I want to do it. And that's your message. I mean, that that is that is the message that everybody listening is going to connect to. And we are all we are all we have these built-in biases that we have to fight on a daily basis anyway and we have to be more conscious of it and um my you know what i want to ask you is how how did you go from that last opportunity to you know get into your own place which your dad helped you with um you know succeeding farther along in jobs and and continuing to deal with your addiction because that's that's definitely a challenge that i'm sure is a part of your life today how did you get from there to where you are today? Serving. Mm. I serve other people. So I had an opportunity to help a girl in the halfway house fundraise uh, and get into her own apartment. And again, it was $1,000 that stood in the way of her releasing from the halfway house and being homeless to a homeless shelter or getting into her own apartment. So I leveraged my network on Facebook and resources. And, you know, I can't save everybody, but guess what? She's in her own apartment. She's been out for a year now, and she's mm. successful. Mm. And I can tell you story after story of uh, where I, I've just chosen opportunities to serve, and it's transforming my life. I am still heavily involved with Dress for Success, mm. who uh, has given me countless opportunities to represent them the biggest one was in new york last year i spoke at a gala event and i was the keynote speaker and that event in particular um all of them have changed my life the dress for success i if i gave you a list of all the ways that they have helped me change my life it would be very long but this is one of the biggest ones because i was offered a job from a fitness club uh called equinox um 
And I got that opportunity. I received that opportunity because of speaking that evening. And again, and again, and again, opportunities happen and things happen in my life that line right up with my purpose and my mission and my position with Equinox does exactly the same thing. And I am honored to be able to uh, be creating nonprofit partnerships in an effort to provide um, employment for amazing talent, Mm. talent that deserves a second chance, talent like me. Tarly, we're the... (laughs) We're the fighters of the world. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about grit and grace? We got grit, baby. Mm-hmm. We are fighters. We mm-hmm. figure it out. Right. And those skills, they, they're interchangeable. All of those skills from my past, uh, I have... Like being resourceful. Now you're resourceful. <laughs> now you're resourceful in a different way. But it's, right? it's true. It's, I like something that you said in that keynote um, address for success last year, because I watched your video, and it was so amazing. Um, I liked that you talked about your 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 passion and your willingness to go all out for what you want. And, you know, you're referencing the times when it wasn't for healthy things, but now you can do that in healthy ways, but you still have that drive in you. I think it's incredible. It's it's the same drive. It's the same care. It's the same person, but I'm using it for good instead of channeling yeah. it for bad. So when I channel it for bad, it's really bad and I'm federally indicted and I'm strung out on drugs and it's really, really bad. But when it's good... It's real good. I'm yeah. helping other people, and I'm making paths and changes, and it's so good I probably can't even wrap my mind around it most of the time because I can. I'm, I, I spent 18 years in that lifestyle, Tarly. 18 mm. years. So I've only been in this life for well, I've been here for eight years, and so uh, I, I look back on the old one, and it blows my mind. It blows my mind how different of a human being I am today. So how do you take care of yourself today, other than running? Because I know that's, and I wanted to hear more about running start. Um, you know, let's tell our listeners what that is. But how do you, how do you, Kara, take care of you? Like feeling your, your joy buckets, your healthy sides, your spiritual and emotional and physical wellness. I tr- I do a lot of things to to help myself grow. Serving is on that list, obviously. That does mm-hmm. help me in a capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it keeps my my care of stars aligned with mm-hmm. my purpose. Taking care of me physically has been a huge deal. Uh, I work out. I try to commit to taking care of myself. When when I'm not doing well, I let that stuff go quickly and immediately uh, fall flat on my face. Mm-hmm. And so I try to keep in that routine. Uh, I pray. Mm-hmm. I talk to God. I meditate. I get I think that the biggest thing that I do is that I get with other people who are the way I want to be. Mm. I have chosen some of the most influential, impactful women in this community, and I am grateful to call them my mentors, and I'm grateful that they speak into my life. But because of the time that they give me, it's helping me to change my life. I try to eat well. You know, I would say all the things that most people do as far as Mm -hmm. self-care, but at the very, very most top of the list, Taverly, is giving myself grace. I still struggle with a core belief that I am not good enough and have to challenge that every single day. 
And I have to be very aware of my associations and my relationships with people because my instinct is always to manifest the negative and manifest particularly intimate relationships in my life that are unhealthy because, again, that's my core belief. Mm. So I have to check that, um, you know, on a consistent basis. And I am definitely in a period right now of learning growth and learning right and I just try to protect myself and my time and my energy from things that don't serve me and this group or let's say tribe of women that you can now call your friends and your mentors and that includes me um I mean you you trust your friends and the people you have in your life don't you yes so I'd ask you that question because I think one of the most powerful things to do is when you have people that you know you can trust because we know the difference between somebody we can trust with our most intimate life details. Like I, there are people that I know I, could, I would trust with my children's life, you know, like I, I, I trust them. If, those, if you have those moments where you struggle with your value and your worth, those are the people that you need to be spending time with. Because if there's anything they're going to do you, for you, it's going to be to remind you of your value, of your worth, of, of who you are. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're always going to tell you everything is perfect and okay and there isn't always ways to improve. But I truly believe that somebody that you can trust and that loves you knows that you need your basic need met, which is to know that you have that worth and that value but to also help you see the areas that you can improve because it goes hand in hand. Anybody else that doesn't see that, they're not part of your inner circle. They need, I mean, you have recognized that, you know that, so many of us don't. I mean, that that learning lesson came for me when I started my own business and the entire trajectory of my life changed. Everything that I do now is way different than I was doing two years ago. A big chunk of people in my life don't love that. They don't love it. And it's okay. They don't have to. I can still love them from afar. I think I said this on a podcast like last week. I still love them from afar. I don't judge their decisions, but I definitely do not let their opinion of me be any of my business. So that means that tight core little space that you've created for yourself to be surrounded by people that know your value, count on them. (laughs) They will help you. (laughs) Thank you. Right. I mean, that's what that's what we need to teach each other. That's what we need to teach women is that our value in supporting each other and serving each other like you're doing for other people. You deserve that, too. And you need that, too, especially when you're giving to other people. There's one thing I've learned is when you're giving, 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 you have got to stop and allow yourself to also be able to receive. Mm, That's one. That's wonderful advice. Yeah, I, I think it's. If there's any message that I could give to any single person listening, it's to understand that your value is likely way beyond what you could even potentially imagine. And if you think about the amount of women that you are reaching and educating all the time, the value they're going to bring to other people down the road because of what you've done is exponential. It's I the more women that I connect with, the more I understand, especially women with criminal histories or overcoming the kind of history I have. We have no inkling of what our value is. It's all wrapped up in uh, negative relationships, Mm -hmm. um, negative biases, negative opinions of ourselves, childhood, all kinds of things. And I am just now starting to understand my value and see that. And it it blows my mind how different it, it, it see. I can see that from now from 10 years ago Mm. and it makes my heart sad 
But I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be on this side of it, and I'm grateful to be learning about who Kara is and how much love I have to give and how impactful I am. And I'm trying to embrace that. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to sit sit with that and, and learn about that, and that's that's the space I'm in right now. When you get taken down to nothing, which is what I needed to be successful – but because of that, taken down to nothing in, in federal prison or county jail eight years ago, that didn't come without a, a consequence. And the consequence is here I am on the other side of it, and I'm, I still believe it's being taken down to nothing like that. You can't – it doesn't just come back of, oh, I'm this powerhouse or, oh, I'm this – no, but I needed that. I needed to be at zero to rebuild, and I, I don't know how much longer it's going to take me to – I mean, just like you said in the beginning, we're, we're on this journey, right? Life's mm-hmm. a journey, you know, and my journey right now is figuring out um, my value, mm-hmm. figuring out my value, not from external circumstances, not from other people, mm-hmm. but from what's inside of me. And it's right. exciting and it's scary at the same yeah. time, but it's more exciting than anything because it feels right. You know, when you're running in your lane it just feels right, and you f- feel fed and full of life and light, and uh, I am grateful for that. Mm. I am so grateful to be in that space. And I'm grateful to be in, in, in your life and have the chance to meet you and, and talk with you and um, and learn from you because I think that your grit and your grace for yourself which is and you know which is obviously what this show is called but you are the epitome of both both parts are needed you can't have one without the other oh gosh that's impactful I can't I guess that really never dawned on me until you just said that it's so true yeah yes you, to, can't, you can't have one without the other you can't right. oh my word I right. I didn't connect those dots it's so <laughs> true yeah interesting well this is this is so great. Um, Kara, I, I, I'm going to say it one more time, is that your your willingness to talk about this is is part of your gift, and you're, you're gifting that to so many other people, and I appreciate that so much. Um, tell us about Running Start, because I think you participate with them, right? Are you uh, involved in the organization? I serve on the board of Running Start now, and uh, I, I'm, I have a, a great, huge love for for the organization because they helped me change my life. Yeah. And and another reason why I, I love being associated with the organization is because uh, Nicole DeBoom, uh, the creator of uh, Skirt Sports, which is, um, mm. she is the, um, that's the, the other side of running start. And so she was a, a, a triathlete and uh, won in 2003 and uh, decided that she wanted to look cute. And so she designed the first running skirt. And mm. that's that's turned into a whole brand. Mm. And it's called Skirt Sports. Uh, and part of, of her passion and love is helping people. Mm-hmm. And she created this nonprofit called Running Start that, that pairs beginner runners, people who want to learn how to run that have some form of a barrier. My barrier was prison and addiction. And with a motivator and uh, to to help them run their first 5K. Amazing. It's a wonderful program. We just kicked it off uh, over the weekend. And uh, if you you know want for more information about uh, Skirt Sports, that's uh, sports, skirtsports.com or running start, uh, running-start.org. Running.start.org. Running dash. 
Okay. Start. Start. Dot dot org. Org. We'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, and they're just two organizations. You know, I run across people in in what I'm doing, and um, sometimes they're not always authentic. Yeah. Right. But this is yeah. the, this is the real deal, and it's authentic, and I'm honored to be associated with it. Yeah, you know how I feel. I'm a strong believer that to work on our mind, you have to work on your body, that there has to be some sort of physical component. And it doesn't matter to me how you do it. Everybody's form of physical exercise is entirely different. But if you are not focusing on your body, you you are not going to be able to fully focus on your mind. And, you know, as an example, you and I were just talking about you know, I have a very, very busy week ahead of me. And <laughs> I mean, kind of like crazy, like the kind of week where, you know, it's just going to be crazy. Like you're like bracing for it. I am still going to exercise every day. I'm going to lift heavier this week than I have in weeks. Um, and part of that is because I know in order to keep my brain focused, I have to keep, I, I have to work on my body at the same time. Oh, so smart. And I, I do it. And I specifically have planned my schedule that way, even while traveling and getting on and off airplanes. I know that I need the opportunity to exercise because it's what's going it, to, it, for me, it keeps my, I don't want to, it's like, like normalized. It keeps, it keeps the crazy for me at, at a minimum. It allows that spinning that happens in my brain to kind of go away. So right? it's so smart. I'm just learning that uh, yeah. all how all that works, and you're so smart to do that. Well, I, for me, I've been playing sports my whole life. It's all I've known. In fact, I, you know, coming from you know the kind of background that I came from, you know, I came from working parents. You know, my parents were divorced, and you know, there was not a lot of people around, adults around when I was growing up. I was on my own, and I learned to play sports at such a young age as a way to a build community and b naturally I was pulled to it to be pulled uh, away from any stressful situation. And for me, it kept me, um, it kept me in on, on a, on a good co- trajectory. And part of that is just because the, the values of being part of a team for me, that was ingrained when I was, I don't know, that's just, that's how I was born. It's what I was called to. Oh, that's so, that's amazing. Yeah. It's, 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 it is what it is. Sports have their benefit. Fitness has their benefit, right? Yes. So what else are you doing? Tell me what else is going on. So I know that you're working for Equinox now, which is really exciting. Is there anything else that um, our listeners, you know, should know about you or, and can they find you? Would you like, if, if, if there's somebody listening that really wants to connect with you or knows that they have someone that could really benefit from the chance to speak to you, how can they find you? I'm so glad you asked me this question. I would love to be connected with people. And in fact, I want, there's two uh, asks that I have. The first one is I'm working on a a website. I've secured a domain name, but uh, I need help. I need someone. I'm looking for someone who would be willing to help me um, get get my website out there and help me connect with people, connect my story with people who need to hear it. Mm. And uh, I've, I've kind of hit some challenges as far as that's concerned. And so if anyone be, would be willing to help me in that capacity, yeah, okay, that would be amazing. We will spread the word for sure. And the second thing is uh, I am an aspiring speaker. I've mm. uh, spoken quite a bit uh, in the last you know, five years since my release from prison. And it's something that I want to do uh, professionally. And in order to get to the professional level, uh, I I need to practice more. And so that benefits people in the community because uh, my my price is either free or it's very, very low. And I want to, again, in an effort to get my story out there. So if you need a speaker for an event, um, if, if you are looking for someone not only for an impact, but uh, someone who can connect with your audience on many different levels, because I've learned this. 
when I speak to people, mm. I always think that my audience, I used to think that my audience was people who, you know, cared about uh, reentry and prison population. And that's just not true. It's women of all kinds. My, sp- my story is inspiring on all levels to all women mm-hmm. and men. It doesn't, it's not just, you know, this one small population. And so I would say, if you're looking for a speaker, please keep me in mind that I would love to do that. And I please reach, reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook uh, or email. I am I'm easily found. I will put all of the contact information on how to find you um, on your social media in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much, Taverly. And Kara, thank you. It's it's the pleasure is mine. You are a blessing in my life. I'm I'm happy to see where our journeys are going to to go and to be a part of each other's path along the way is is something super special. Well, and you know, I have to share with you that you are an amazing, amazing uh, resource mm-hmm. and human being in my life. And having the opportunity to watch you do what you're doing is helping me to, you know, glean things from your life. And you are absolutely amazing. I'm honored, mm-hmm. not only honored to be, have asked, been asked to participate in this podcast, but I'm honored to know you. Mm-hmm. You are doing big, big things, not just in this community, but other communities nationwide with all the things that you're doing. We need more women like you. Mm-hmm. And I am just so honored to know you. You've taken my words, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, if, I wish there was video for today because um, my our hearts are very much on our sleeves right now, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kara. You're amazing. And so, ladies and gentlemen listening, this is why I told you at the beginning that there are just certain gifts that you know, I'm given in this work that I get to do. And and Kara is one of them. And she has come into my life in a way that um, speaks, you know, to me spiritually and in so many different ways. And I'm grateful for her and for all of you that listen. And if you're listening on iTunes, please leave us, um, leave us a comment, you know, give us a rating. If you're listening to us on the ladieschitchatclub.com, you'll see my name highlighted below. You are welcome to reach out to me for any questions you have, or if you want a more personal introduction to Kara, I am happy to do that and leave your comments because it's there. And, you know, we appreciate all of you joining us and helping to make this podcast what it is and you will hear more from Kara in the future so stay tuned